we have this thing in our culture and in our lives where like, if you don't look sick, if people aren't worried about you, if nobody else is commenting on what you're eating, then you're not sick enough. You're listening to Let It Out with me, your host, Katie Dilbow. And for this intro, I have a co-host. Yay! <laughs> We're recording live from Berlin. I've been with my co-host, Rose Truesdale, nonstop for a good over two weeks now. Yeah. <laughs> We've left each other's side for just a few minutes here and there. And um, I'm leaving you tomorrow and I'm really sad. I know me too. I couldn't even leave you just to do this intro so thank you for doing it with me. I'm so happy to do this with you. You're the best and I love you and I love all of you for listening. Thank you for tuning in this week. So I'm going to tell Rose and all of you about this week's episode which is with the founders of this organization called The Chain, Ruthie and Christina and I recorded this back in New York a couple weeks before I left for my mega trip. And it's a really cool organization. I think you'll particularly like Rose and all of you guys listening. It's a nonprofit that is a peer support network for women in fashion and entertainment struggling with eating disorders by Ruthie and Christina, the founders. But really, it's for anyone. I think support is so crucial in recovery from anything and in life in general. But I think especially with eating disorders and body image stuff. I know we've both had our stuff with that and talked about it a lot in the last couple of weeks and supported each other and just in our friendship, but especially with traveling and spending a lot of time together uninterrupted, you see everyone's stuff with food and it's being around you. I wrote this down has been really useful for me and really illuminating for me. And you're really inspiring to me about how you eat and live and interact in your body and in your life and So first of all, thank you. You're very welcome. And we talked about that you haven't always been this way and that you've had ups and downs. We both had ups and downs with eating in our bodies. And you seem like right now you're in this really confident place in a way that you nourish yourself and also find pleasure in food and say what you need around food and nourishing yourself. So what's helped you recently be in the place you are with food in your body? Gosh, Well, to be honest, I don't think it's anything recent. I don't think there's any sort of quick solution. It's been many, many years in the making, and I've been recovered for about a decade now. But you know that it's always a work in progress. So I think it's always just about embracing imperfection and learning that you don't have to be your best self all the time. You've been teaching me that. A yeah. Lot <laughs> yeah. Cause I have not been my best self. No. A lot of this trip. Well, and we were up very late last night and it's just, um, yeah, it's, it's always a practice for me to not attempt to be perfect and not expect yeah. that of myself and just learn that life is so much more than being your best self. Yes. You're, you're actually, really good at that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think you're actually your best when you're just yourself and you're comfortable with that and you're open to the world around you. So, Mm. and that translates way beyond food. Totally. That's so profound. I'm glad that this is recorded. (laughs) You're also really good at articulating your needs to people around you and being yourself, I think, in in every situation. Or that's what I've observed. Does it feel that way to you? Yeah, that's also a long time in the making, I think. I don't think I was that way even five or six years ago. And it's just, yeah, you you grow more confident with age. And I've always just wanted to become my truest self. You're always digging away at layers and we're all onions. (laughs) So I think moving to Berlin probably helped with that a great deal. Yeah, change. I hope that maybe it's maybe turning 30 just like flips the switch and I'm just right behind you. I I wish that were the case, but I don't think there's a new switch. No, I, I think it's just I think it's just a lot of work. 
Yeah. But if you are committed to doing the work, which it sounds like all of your listeners are, then you'll get there. Yeah. Well, you, you're just really great and sunshiny to be around. And Thank you. <laughs> I highly recommend everyone getting involved in everything that you do because you're just inspiring and talented and wonderful. Okay. One last question that you might know because you've listened to the podcast. When you're having a bad body image day or when you're not feeling confident in yourself or you're not feeling your best, how do you pivot? How do you change? What are things that you do to feel better? That's a good question. I think first and foremost, what we already talked about, it doesn't really matter. No one else can see that you're having a bad body image day. No one else is judging you for that. And learning to accept and embrace even that you're not going to feel hundred percent every single day. You're probably only going to feel hundred percent, like one or 2% of the time. So just knowing that as a baseline, Mm -hmm. but some things I do for myself are stick to some kind of routine and nothing rigid, just the things that make me feel good. I, I like regular meals. I know Katie's a snacker, but I, but I've been doing regular meals and it's been good for me. Yeah. I am. I'm really into food. So I make myself elaborate meals or go buy myself elaborate meals. I, um, I like to exercise and I just know what makes me feel good and yeah, just doing those, those self-care things. We've been on vacation and been out of our routines, but within that, you've stayed connected with yourself. How do you come back to yourself when you're not feeling confident or when you're feeling embarrassed? Mm, give me an example. Well, um, I've had several. This, this you, <laughs> I feel like this has happened to us, to us being together like so many times where I'm just like, I get overwhelmed. And then you give me such good advice and you're like, it's a, I feel like you're so empathetic with me and you so... Well, I think because I've been there, I can be compassionate because, yeah, yeah because I've been there. And so I moved, backstory on me, I moved to Berlin with my partner about two years ago. And even though I've been feeling very settled into my adult self in recent years, it really shook me. And there have been instances in the past couple of years where I've just been very reactive and prone to freaking out in a way that I thought I was very much done with. Um, so yeah, I think it is just about forgiving yourself and picking people who will forgive you. My partner's wonderful about that, but I'm also wonderful about that with him. Yeah. Just knowing that you're loved and it's okay. And no one's going to be hundred percent ever. <laughs> you're good at that with your friends too. Thank Aww. you for being that way with me. You're so welcome. <laughs> being my support group for doing this intro. We're all going to cry in this intro. All right. Well, I think you'll like this episode when you listen to yeah, it. Yeah, me too. It sounds like it. like it. There's a lot of good, I've been kind of telling you tidbits of it, but there's a lot of good info on eating disorder recovery and not feeling alone in eating disorder recovery, which I think is really important. And Rose is going to come back to do a full episode where you'll get a full backstory of her. And I think it'll be interesting for us to record that after our three-week adventure together. I think so, too. We're going to another city after Berlin, which we'll tell about in the outro. So enjoy this episode, and Rose will be back with us in a little bit. Bye. All right. This episode is supported by Cara Vitamins. They have been one of my first sponsors of this podcast, and they are a subscription service that delivers vitamins and supplements customized to your specific health needs. And it's really cool. I think you'd be into this, Rose. We're both very into all sorts of personality type quizzes, (laughs) Enneagram, human design, all of the things. And for Cara, if you go to their website, you take this short quiz, you answer a few questions about your lifestyle, your fitness goals, what you eat, how often you poop. We're very different in that area. So we would need very different vitamins. vitamins. And then Kara puts together a personalized plan just for you. And it's really great. It's, It's about to be fall. So getting back to a routine around taking supplements. And sometimes, you know, we both really love food and love eating a lot of veggies, but every once in a while, it's hard to get all of your nutrients in what you're eating. And there might be some gaps that Kara can fill. So I really love this service. It's great for travel. They take you through this quiz and they give you these personalized vitamin packets that are really cute. They have your name on them. I think they really like the packaging. They're really great. I've been using them for years and I really, really enjoy them. 
So if you want to try them, you can get 25% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins. Just visit takecareof.com and enter the code let it out at checkout. And that's good for the remainder of this year. So check them out. Again, really convenient, really, really great way to take your supplements. And I think it's fun to have something personalized. You know, we love a good personalization. Same, customization. Right? For 25% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins, visit takecareof.com and enter the code let it out at checkout. Thank you, Kara. Thank you guys so much for doing this. I know we've had it on the schedule for ever and scheduling and rescheduling and we're finally yeah here we're very here. excited thank you okay so what how did each of you grow up where are you from and how did you grow up around food and your body let's start there so i am a new yorker i lived on long island until i was about 11 years old and then i moved into manhattan grew up on the upper west side i definitely feel like i am a new yorker at heart i would say that i had a fairly normal household in terms of food if you come from a Jewish background. So there was like this obsession with food around the holidays. And other than that, and I was raised kosher. So being raised kosher and having so many Jewish holidays that revolve around how much you eat or how much you don't eat definitely was instilled in me. My parents are rabbis. So it was something that I saw a lot of. With that said, there was nothing, there was never any like talk about weight in the household. I would say the only time that that really started was when I did extracurriculars like dance, but it was fairly unspoken about. Food was like something that we had to eat. So like you just get it done. It was never like, oh my God, we're going to have this elaborate dinner or anything like that. There was no time to sit down or anything like that. When did things go south for you? I say that my eating disorder probably started when I was around eight. And for me, it had, at its inception, it mostly was something, I I have a very vivid memory. We were reading a book, we were reading The Secret Garden in class, and we were doing like a round robin reading. And when it wasn't my turn to read, I remember looking down at my legs and I was wearing shorts and thinking like, wouldn't my leg look so much better if it was half the size? And it wasn't because I wanted it to be smaller, it was just because from a symmetry point of view, I thought that it should just be like one sliver instead of like a sliver that then goes out. Um, And I think for me, that's kind of when my obsession with my body started. It wasn't until I was a teenager that it really became about weight. And I think that that's because naturally we're taught that eating disorders are about weight. So when we started seeing videos about eating disorders in health class, I was like, oh, like I think those things, like it must be about food. And then it just became about food. Yeah. I have a distinct memory too. When I was nine, same sort of thing, shopping for first communion dresses. And I needed a size 10 and all the other kids needed an eight. And that was just a moment where I was like, oh, I'm different. I need to change this. And it just snowballed. Christina, what was your, do you have a moment like that or what was your? Yeah. So, I mean, like Ruthie, I grew up and it was very normal. I mean, it's as far as food is concerned, upbringing. I grew up in the Midwest, so not me too. New York Where City, um, well, Western Pennsylvania. Okay, but like I could walk to Ohio, so <laughs> I consider myself a Midwesterner. I went to college in Indiana, which is very Midwest, so I feel like a Midwesterner. But anyways, I, you know, my parents never talked about food or weight or anything that they tell you as a parent like not to do to prevent, you know, this sort of thing from happening, but. I think I was really just kind of born with the predisposition for this issue because I think when I was six or seven, I distinctly remember I had a school fashion show and felt that I needed to lose weight for it. And I still to this day don't know where that came from or like where I got the idea, but I went on my first diet and that was in second grade. So interesting. All three yeah. of us, you know, we're around the same age and have a moment around yeah. eight or nine that even though our parents were fine, it yeah. it's insidious. Yeah. So that's kind of how it started. And I think I was heavily involved in dance and gymnastics from a very young age. And obviously those are two things that have a very distinct, you know, ideal body type. And especially back then, I mean, I think it's different now with the way things have 
progressed, but back then it was very much, this is the body you need and that's it. And I was very attentive to that and wanted to fit into that mold and knew that I didn't. So my goal was to change so that I could, you know, feel like a part of something or feel like I fit in better. And, and kind of likewise, because I, I too, as a dancer, for me, my memory was less about, I need to be thinner and more about like, I have these extremely vivid memories of my class, my dance class ending and seeing the older girls walk in and seeing the way their bodies looked in leotards and being terrified of my body looking like that, of having boobs and having a butt and like feeling like that was ugly. So for me, and you hear about this a lot with women with eating disorders, for me, it was so tied to me not wanting to grow up Mm -hmm. um, and me not wanting to become a woman just because I was so terrified of that idea. I was terrified to get my period. I was terrified to grow boobs and all of that comes, you know, it's so intermingled with weight loss and weight gain. Yeah. It was that a similar thing for you? I don't think so as much. I think when I was younger, I was so excited to grow up because I always felt... Christina's like, I was so excited to get boobs. <laughs> Not that. No, I've always been a very old soul and just like... I if I was at something with my parents and like my classmates, I would always gravitate toward like having a conversation with the adults. Like I was always very much an adult in a child's body. So I wasn't as scared to grow up. I think I was more just trying to fit in and be as good at everything as I could be. And that included, you know, weight, body, that sort of thing. That mine is more similar to yours. And I think it's interesting to have all three of us talk about how, different it is because for me, I was, I'm an only child. I was like around exclusively adults and wanted to grow up, but I had the, for me, it was more, I didn't feel like I had a thing. Like I wasn't good at anything. So I was like, well, I'm really good at this. And if I don't feel enough, this is a way to feel enough. And I feel like that it's for me. And I would love your thoughts on this eating disorders are kind of an outward expression of an inward struggle, whatever the inward struggle is. Is that what you guys have found? Yeah, I think so. And I think the trouble with that, though, is knowing that for the majority of people, it never becomes an outward expression. I feel like you can try and, you know, harm your body in so many different ways, but it's only a few of us for whom it actually shows in a dramatic way. Totally. And that can also just be another way to convince yourself that you're not enough. Right. That you don't, you're not sick enough. Like you're not doing the eating disorder well enough. You're not sick enough you know, you're trying to do it, but you're failing. And and that I think for both of us was a huge part of mm-hmm. our eating disorder. I can tell you like mine was definitely more for me, the obsession with being able to control what went in and out of my body was about my being able to control things. Like I, I, I felt a deep need to control the environment around me because I was so scared of so many things. So anytime there was any kind of trauma, whether it was personal trauma or even world trauma, I mean, I remember after 9-11, my name sort of got really bad again just because I was so anxious. Um, And I think I always revert back to this, like, whenever shit hits the fan, like, I need to stop eating because, like, that way I know that the world is in its right place. Totally. I'd love to talk about the connection between disordered eating and anxiety because I think they really feed each other as an anxious person and a disordered eater, the less I'm eating, the more anxious I am. And then the more anxious I am, the less I'm eating or the more I'm eating. And it's, they just, you know, it's this positive feedback loop. How do you guys handle that in your lives now? Or what are your thoughts on that? I think to be fully transparent, that's still something that I'm personally figuring out how to manage in, you know, a, an appropriate way, because I think anxious people fall into two categories. It's those who overeat and those who don't eat. And for someone with a history of anorexia, that's obviously when I'm anxious, I, you know, lose my appetite and it becomes even more difficult. So I think that that's been one of the most difficult aspects for me is because I'm constantly in an anxiety provoking situation, be it at work or wherever. Yeah. And I would say for me, it's exactly the same. Like, I wish I could say that after treatment, I learned that like that quote unquote high that you get when you like haven't eaten that much, but have enough in your system where you're still conscious. It's like this 10 minute period where you're just like 
on ecstasy, or at least what I imagine ecstasy to feel like. Um, I wish I could say that that feeling goes away. It doesn't. You just have to compare that feeling towards wanting to be alive. And I think most of the time I choose wanting to be recovered. It's impossible not to remember how good it feels when it's like that perfect amount, but mm-hmm. it's not sustainable. And that's what we kind of keep reminding ourselves of. Yeah. It's like some days you get that combination, right? And some days you overeat, some days you undereat and wish you had more. There's this great definition of normal eating by Ellen Satter. Do you guys know that definition? Yeah. And I feel like that's what I'm constantly, that's a really good barometer for me to constantly try to remember. Mm-hmm. So bring us up to the present. I want to know how you guys came together and the chain, but maybe first talk about each of your recoveries and you know where you are in that now. I think, I mean, I'll let Christina speak for herself, but I think both of us some days would say like we're doing really well and some days are doing really badly. Um, it's really a day by day for me. I think that Great, you have each other. It's really helpful to have each other. Um, during the heat wave last week, I texted Christina and I was like, this is not eating disorder friendly <laughs> weather. Like th- being this hot, like not no human wants to eat anything right now. I definitely don't. How much of this is just like normal? Oh my God, it's 100 yeah. degrees. And how much of this is my eating disorder yeah. giving me the day off? It's really helpful to have Christina and our other members of the chain also um, to be able to say those things that like, I could say to my husband or I could say to my best friend, but like the level of understanding just isn't as empathetic. Mm -hmm. I'd say that like, if I can confidently say that most days of the week, I am eating three meals a day that stick to my meal plan. That is a win for me. If the majority of the time I'm doing that, I can say like confidently this week I I have, but it's Tuesday. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) there's still a long way to go. And I think for me, what's really important in my recovery is holding myself accountable. I think a lot of people who have eating disorders or struggle with addiction have a really complicated relationship with the truth, telling themselves the truth, telling other people the truth. So learning how to tell myself the truth, even if I'm uncomfortable telling everyone around me the truth, has become paramount. So if my husband asks me what I ate, it doesn't actually matter what I tell him. It matters what I know I ate. So that's kind of what my goal is, is to like always be honest with myself and the people that I love. And sometimes I'm going to slip up and not eat correctly. And that's just part of who I am. But if the majority of the time I'm doing the right thing, then that feels good to me. Yeah. The self-honesty piece is the most important part. And it's the hardest part because people with eating disorders are great liars. Really good. Yeah. <laughs> so much mental, it's so sad. So much mental energy goes to that. And it's, well, it's, it's interesting you say that because in my treatment program that I went to, which was at a place called Balance, one of the things that we did each week was we were given a circle and we pretended that that circle was our brain and we had to kind of divide our brain into percentages, like how much is taken up by anxiety? How much is taken up by your love life? How much is taken up by food? And for me, like the point at which I felt like, oh my God, something's working here is when less than 50% of my brain space was being taken up by food. So the amount of time you get back Mm -hmm. when you decide to recover is substantial. My friend, do you guys know Christy Harrison? She hosts this podcast called Food Psych. I think you guys would really like, but she wrote this book called Anti-Diet and she, the working title for it before was called The Life Thief because dieting and Mm -hmm. eating disorders really steal your money, your time, your life. And I just think that that's such a great analogy of how it's been for me. And it's so sad what I've lost in terms of relationships and things in my life before I was had that self-honesty. Mm-hmm. Christine, yeah. do you want to tell? It's been many years of ups and downs. I think the last time I was in an intensive form of treatment was about a year and a half ago. But it's been interesting for me because even at you know my worst, sickest moments, I've been able to really uphold a very high functioning, like high performing lifestyle. So my kind of current struggle is figuring out how to, I guess, find the reason for staying in recovery if it doesn't have repercussions that present themselves physically right away in my life. Because I don't, it's not like, oh, if I restrict, like this will happen, I'll lose my, it's not like I'll lose my job or like not be able to get my work done. I I will. So it's just a matter of finding a reason for me that isn't, 
external. Well, and I think that's something Christina and I talk to each other a lot about is like, and the, and another reason why I always go so far as to say is like, it's between life or death is because the minute thing that takes it from like, you're still highly functional to like, you are in the hospital. It's so tiny. So like, we have this thing in our culture and in our lives where like, unless you're bleeding out of the eyeballs, you got to go to work and you got to get it done. And the truth is like, that's such a dangerous mentality for someone with an eating disorder. Certainly something that I have struggled with where like, if you don't look sick, if people aren't worried about you, if nobody else is commenting on what you're eating, then you're not sick enough. So just like get it together. And how great is it that I can hide this and still be functioning? But the the difference between functioning and not functioning happens so quickly that you always have to kind of keep an eye on it. Yeah. That, I mean, dude, I'm having like an aha moment hearing you talk about that because I, I feel like for me, I had this recovery technically that was a wound that never quite healed properly. And someone with an eating disorder is really fucking disciplined, you know, like mm-hmm. you're good at control. So you're good at, I take a bite off more than I can chew in life and can keep that up. Mm-hmm. But I had a relationship end that was really a result of my neuroses. And I think that really woke me up. So what are kind of those external motivators or how do you motivate yourself to stay? Um, For me, it's really always been my family's a big one and my career is another one because I know that as much as I can be high functioning up until the very end, it will eventually take me out of my life and put me in, you know, a hospital or an inpatient facility for three months. And I am at a point now where I've done that so many times. I don't want to have to take more time off from my career. And then there's also the very real situation that I've done quite a bit of damage internally. And I know that it's really just playing with fire. So those are my three main motivators. And then obviously community is such a a big part of this for both of you. Right. Talk about that. How did you guys come together? Talk about the chain. So it was probably two summers ago. Um, I was doing some consulting work on the Netflix film To the Bone with Lily Collins, which was a film about eating disorders. And there had been so much controversy surrounding the release of the film that I had these Google alerts set. So I knew each time like an article came up. And one was written by Ruthie for InStyle one day. And I had known of Ruthie for years, having worked in the industry, but didn't personally know her. And the story she wrote was about her own recovery. And that was, I think, the first time she had publicly kind of declared her experience with an eating disorder. So I hit her up on the DMs and was like, hey, that was super brave of you. I'm always here for you. Not really expecting anything to come of it. But we talked more and more and decided that we wanted to find a way to support the other women in our industry who struggle through this but feel like they have to be silent about it because it is it's still a big problem you know worldwide but I think it's such an unaddressed issue especially in our industry and so we're working to kind of give people the resources and the tools to address in a responsible productive way and for me group was something I had never done before I went into treatment and doing group changed my life completely for the better so the idea that like I had these you know, eight girls that I spoke to once a week all who knew me and we had this shared experience. And then when I graduated, so to speak, from treatment, that stops was really difficult for me. So finding a community of people that I could talk to on a regular basis, I felt was really going to be integral to my recovery, just staying recovered. Yeah. Yeah. With talking to people who, in that setting, who understand Mm -hmm. is so beneficial and so wonderful. And thank you for making the chain. It's such a gift and you guys are really cool oh, and thank you. thanks. <laughs> and I'm the only reason I'm like saying that quickly is for the sake of time. I would have like <laughs> I would have lingered there longer. But I want to talk about communicating about eating disorders mm-hmm. to people who are not mm-hmm. in recovery or have not experienced it. So I I have a whole list of of situations. So let's start with romantic relationships because I think that's really interesting and in, in dating. And then once you're in a relationship, I think that's a question I get a lot mm-hmm. after talking about my eating disorder. And I'd love your thoughts. I'll let you take this one. Okay. <laughs> my eating disorder, because I've had it since I was around eight. Obviously, I've had many different 
relationships. Well, not that many, but I've had a wide range of relationships since I was eight years old. <laughs> with <laughs> I had my with, first boyfriend at six. So good for you. I didn't. I was a late bloomer. <laughs> um, but I would say that you know, most poignantly for me was that it was the loss of friends because of it, because I was so completely obsessed with myself that I was unable to give anything to friends. And then later in life, it became tied to relationships because, you know, when you're not eating, you don't really want to have sex and you don't feel sexy and you don't want to show your body. You're not proud of how you look. Even when you are proud of how you look, it's like kind of embarrassing. And then of course there's the dreaded, like they want to go out to dinner with you Mm -hmm. and you don't finish your meal. And the waiter comes over and is like, do you want to pack that up? And you're like, no. And the guy looks to you and he's like, uh, does this girl got issues? Next. Um, I would say that the guy I dated before I met my husband or before I started dating my husband, um, ended things with me because he was, he was like, I don't know how to handle this. I've had an anorexic girlfriend before. I don't want one again. Like I can't do this. Um, and that was really heartbreaking for me. It was also the first time anyone had referred to me as anorexic. And that was very eye-opening. I don't know if this is answering the question, but I think that like, if you are someone who's in recovery or recovered, it's really important to tell your significant other, whether that's your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your best friend, your husband, and really confide as much as you feel you can. Um, My husband was extremely involved in my recovery process. I don't think that you can be in a relationship during recovery and not have that person involved. I think either they're in it to win it or you got to cut it off. I think it's really hard to be in a relationship with no problems, being in a relationship with someone who has an eating disorder or being in a relationship when you are someone with an eating disorder presents a whole slew of additional problems. I feel very grateful that my husband was understanding and patient and wanted to be educated also. Um, I think something that is really tough for a lot of partners of people with eating disorders is people who didn't say anything or felt like they didn't speak when they should have, or, you know, they didn't see it. Like, how do you not see what your loved one is doing to themselves? So I think having those conversations is like super, super important. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tips for having those conversations? I think I heard Jamila Jamil say once that like hating yourself is still being obsessed with yourself. Mm -hmm. And thinking about that first relationship for you, that must have been so heartbreaking. How did you get through that? And what changed when you met your husband? Well, nothing helped me get through it. Like I was not ready to be in recovery. So when that guy told me that, I felt equal parts heartbroken and thrilled that somebody called me anorexic. Like that's the most honest answer I can give you. And I remember fact-checking with people being like, he said I was anorexic. You don't think I'm anorexic, do you? And like then being disappointed when people were like, no, you're totally not. You're totally normal. It's really fucked up. To be honest, like the easy answer would be that like my husband's so great that like everything changed and I wanted to get better, but that's not the truth. Like everything changed for like for me. Well, I'll start by saying this and sorry if this backtracks a little. Was that relationship ending a wake-up call though or was it something else after that? It was a wake-up call, but not a wake-up call that I needed help. It was more of a wake-up call that I was doing a good job. <laughs> yeah. As sick as that sounds. I think a lot, a lot of people say, whether you're an addict or have an eating disorder, I liken the two very much, um, that you can't get better for someone else. I don't have that opinion. Like for me, I can tie my recovery to my niece being born and my decision to get healthy and stay healthy was and continues to be directly tied to her and being able to see. And and that goes back to the romantic relationships because like also if I want to have a kid, I got to eat. Um, and, and so for me, like it was, it was all about Helena and Helena's birth and like wanting, being able to watch something, have absolutely no idea what food means and just have, you know, they talk about intuitive eating, like the most intuitive eaters are babies. And it was so amazing to watch, like, as I was refeeding myself and she was learning how to eat, it was just such a beautiful thing that I was able to have. 
like making me cry. <laughs> so going back to communicating in relationships, yeah. how did you communicate with your with your now husband about this? How was that conversation? Well, well if you're going into treatment and you're living with someone, <laughs> it's not something you can hide. Um, I was gone every single Saturday, all day, every Wednesday night, and you come home and like, you want to talk about it. You know, if you're doing it the right way, you want to like, be like, oh my God, I just learned this amazing thing. And I remember at, during treatment, they um, would give out handouts sometimes and I would come back and like, want to tell Stephen about, you know, facts that I learned about the body. And like, I think he obviously was most invested in me getting healthy, but I think that being able to talk about it in a way that was like, this is something new I learned about myself or that was really helpful. I think that there's always, I'm a big proponent of always having a few secrets for yourself. Mm -hmm. So like there's definitely parts of my disorder that he was not part of like the recovery process. And I think that is healthy. (laughs) Um, But I I don't think that you can live a full life with somebody else and not be a hundred percent honest with them. So going back to, you mentioned friendships ending, and maybe you can both talk about this, of like the narcissism that comes with being disordered and how did you wake up to that and what helps you change? Hmm. I was so obsessed with myself and making sure that my disorder was like doing well, that everything else around me even if it had absolutely nothing to do with food or my body, like I was putting myself in situations that were dangerous and triggering so that I wouldn't eat. Do you mean like avoiding things? I actually mean the opposite. Like I would put myself in situations that I felt uncomfortable in because I knew that it would make me not want to eat. And more importantly, I was hiding from everyone. So the people that I was friends with, the social situations I was getting myself into – it wasn't really me there because I wasn't a person. Um, And I think that's a complicated thing for anyone to understand. But I remember for a myriad of reasons, I got into a fight with my high school best friend and that was the end of it. And this was my best friend in the entire world. And I know that I was not in the right mind when that whole situation was going on because I was completely starved. I think that is a tough, pill to swallow. Do you think you can mend those relationships that ended from? For me personally, I think that like a lot of the first half of my entire life, (laughs) I'm 32. And I would say like, until I went into recovery, I don't know if I was ever really honest about who I was as a person. I think parts of me shined through, but I definitely think that like the people that have remained my friends are few. And I think it's because I never gave people the chance to really know me. Um, now that I'm out of recovery, the friends that I choose are friendships based on common interests and support. I think that's something that naturally happens when you turn 30, but I think it happened much more dramatically for me. Yeah. What do you guys, one thing we always ask about before I get to the quick fire questions is a bad body image day Mm -hmm. is what I call it. So when you wake up and you're feeling great and you catch a weird glimpse in a window at 3 p.m. and suddenly... It's usually at like 8 a.m., but... (laughs) I get you. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you guys do? What helps you? We text each other. Yeah, I'll text Ruthie or I don't know. I think that's still a huge part of something I'm working on is I'm still very, I internalize a lot and I almost still don't want anyone to convince me otherwise. So if I'm like, see something, I'm like, I don't want to be convinced otherwise because this is the truth. This is real. And I don't, you know, That being said, there are some days where I'm so busy or whatever that I don't think about it as much. And I think those days are kind of wins, whether it's something I'm focusing on that's positive or not. If my mind is thinking about something else other than my body, then thank the Lord. I think for me, it's like I'm someone who likes to deal with facts. So I am, you know, I know that I'm weight restored and. I know that I see a doctor and I trust that if my doctor saw that I gained an insane amount of weight or even an amount of weight that was remotely concerning for any reason, they would be like, are you okay? What's going on? I also know when my clothes fit me. So if I see something and I'm like, whoa, I look huge, I can be like, but 
these pants fit exactly the same as they did yesterday when I didn't feel like I looked huge. Kind of like battling what the reality is. And simultaneously, like, I'm a huge proponent of opposite action. So I usually, like, any day that I'm feeling that, I usually test myself. And I'm like, today you are sitting in a restaurant by yourself for lunch and ordering a full meal with a carb, a protein, and fat. Mm -hmm. And you were going to finish that plate. And then you're going to talk to someone on the chain. And then you're, like, I really try to act oppositionally. And remember that I didn't die because I did it. <laughs> you right. guys are very inspiring that you're really, you're really doing it. I think we also feel accountable yeah. to our yeah. community. Like I, I, we're very honest that we still are both in this, you know, we're not, I don't know if anyone's ever recovered, yeah. but I think we both are very adamant that we are not recovered mm-hmm. past tense. Right. And I think giving yourself that permission makes it a little easier. And I think it's really rare too to have someone kind of stand up and say like, yeah, I went through this and I'm still going through it. I feel like it's very common for people who have gone through any sort of trauma or addiction or eating disorder to speak and be like, oh, I'm through that, but this is what happened. And I feel like people are really yearning for a connection to someone who can really understand what you're going through and kind of walk the path with you, knowing that we're still going through it as well. Like I still have really bad days. She has really bad days. It's not, I'm by no means out of the woods. (laughs) I'm still very, like we're, in it too. And I think that's probably the most powerful part of it, at least for me. Yeah. I mean, it's a really, it's a really challenging addiction. I yeah. Mean, yeah. The fact that, you know, it's not something we don't, people understand why we don't have time to, <laughs> we had more time to get into it, but people clearly understand it's not something you can just quit like a lot of other things. And well, I guess these are the, the quick fire questions yeah. I usually ask, but one of them is about spirituality and a connection um, Mm -hmm. to something greater than yourself. And I feel like with this context, I would love to know what that is for each of you and how Mm -hmm. that helps. Well, it's interesting that we named it the chain and the chain has such close ties to Judaism, which Ruthie is Jewish and I'm Catholic, but my other religion is Stevie Nicks. So (laughs) chain also goes in both directions, but I think we're both pretty spiritual people in our own ways. And that's been really helpful for me, um, having that belief in a higher power and also belief in a higher purpose and trying to find it. So I grew up around religion. My parents are rabbis. Um, for me, one thing that I did when I went into recovery is I decided to start observing Shabbat, not from a religious point of view, but from kind of Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. I try not to use my phone. I don't work. I try not to shop. I kind of use it as a time to give myself permission to turn off. Um, And that while that's not like super God focused, it is spiritual focused and it is a nice reminder for me every week. I think those rituals that are old were made for a reason. Totally. Totally. Mm -hmm. Totally. So I want, speaking of talking about things outside of food and, and body image, you work in social media and you are a writer. I would love to know, what your life is like and any for for you, social media right now, I, you posted, I have like 8,000 more questions to ask each of you. So I'm like, <laughs> but I would love to know like kind of your thoughts on social media. You posted an article the other night that I read mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. kind of oversharing yeah. and, on social media. So I'd love to, let's start there. And then I want to talk. Yeah, to you. I was, it was this article by, I think her name is Cassie David. Is that her mm-hmm. name? Basically the premise of the article was have, has oversharing, for the sake of likes, become the same as, like, posting a bikini selfie. I found a lot of her points valid in some ways. And I, you know, don't think it was directed at someone like me who, there is a lot I don't, like, there's a lot I don't share. And what I do share is really for the greater good. But I think, on the other hand, kind of generalizing anxiety across the board is something that everyone struggles with. When for some people, it's a really debilitating illness is really unfair and also the community aspect of sharing, you know, struggles and that kind of thing online has been life-changing for so many people and has birthed so many powerful initiatives. Like, I mean, that's how Ruthie and I met. So I think there is a balance. You have to ask yourself why you're sharing and who you're sharing for. And it always has, there always has to be a reason. It can't just be like, I'm sharing for attention or for likes. It has to be, I feel like I always check myself, like, why am I sharing this? What's the purpose? And then go, because I think you can easily get caught up in it. Yeah. Yeah. Same. 
I want to know about writing. You've been mm. a writer for your career and so prolific in that. What are some of your writing routines and rituals? Do you have any habits or things you'd recommend to writers? Um, I'd say anybody who has a... So my schedule right now is so day by day. I consult and I write. And doing that means that I'm not at a desk. So I always try to find some place to go every day. I've been working out of Ralph's Coffee Shop um, on the Upper East Side, which is inside Ralph Lauren. Sponsor us. Sponsor us, Ralph. (laughs) Um, No, I I really like being somewhere. You know, like I loved getting dressed for work and and feel like it's important to me to like show up um, because that helps me feel like a human. Uh, One hack that I have found since I've started working on my own is like setting timers for what I'm going to focus on because I have multiple clients. So I'll say like, okay, for the next two hours, I'm just doing this client. And then the buzzer goes off and I'm like, okay, now half an hour break. I'm a big proponent of the break. (laughs) I also want to just really promote napping. Um, I especially like the late afternoon nap. If you are so luxurious as I am to get that, I'm usually passed out between 5 and 6.30, then wake up and have a whole second day. Um, so I think I think for me, having a schedule and a routine is super important. Yeah, I think that's what we call it. See you at Rails tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> we can share it See all. you there. Yeah, exactly. Ruthie has nap privilege. I do have nap privilege. <laughs> yeah, I do too, but I don't take advantage of it. Oh, every day. Sometimes I do two a day. <laughs> wow. So one... You guys both come from working in fashion. I would love to talk about style. You both have beautiful style. Thank you. So I mean, as you can see, I mean, I'm, lit- I'm literally right in Gap sweatpants and an FK Twigs t-shirt. But really, I think that's such an interesting part of recovery for mm-hmm. me. With I wrote this this piece for Refinery a couple of years ago about anorexia nostalgia, and it came from that sense of what you were talking about before of. It's jarring when your clothes don't fit. Mm-hmm. Cut it. I knew it was a good thing mentally, but it's still uncomfortable and annoying to have to buy new clothes. So right. style is such a part of that. I'd love for each of you to, to speak on that. Well, we have a column on the 30 where we wrote a really important article about what to do when you don't fit into your clothes anymore. The answer is you have to get rid of them, even if it is a Chanel tweed jacket. For me, it was like as equal as a, oh my God, all of this stuff that I love is leaving me. And oh my God, this huge financial investment I made is going out the window. I gamified it and sold my stuff so that I could use the money to buy new things. But there's, I mean, fashion and the, you know, I think it's impossible for that not to suck. Right. For anyone. For anyone. I think like, like I talk to women and men who have had weight fluctuations. I mean, you talk to anybody who's had a baby and it's really traumatic to put something on that fit you a week before and doesn't anymore. Um, I think that like, if you can think of it as either a way to give back, so how to donate your clothes or a way to get new things, which is like how to get creative and find new things and not waste your entire bank account. Um, that would be great. But I also think that like you also have to acknowledge things that are just always going to be tough. And that's one that will just always be tough. Mm-hmm. The second to last question, I always ask people to recommend things. So things mm-hmm. you're you're into right now. So book, music, podcasts, writers, food, or actually, this is usually the first quick fire question that I didn't ask. So first, each of you tell me the best thing you've eaten in the last week. Oh, Jesus. That's a tough one. I don't, I hate to be that person. I just really love Skinny Pop. Not oh my because God. it's called Skinny Pop. I just love it. Bagels it's are my, my favorite. favorite food. Tall bagels. Mm. Every weekend. What do you put on it? Plain bagels, cream cheese, not toasted. Um, yeah. So And sweet green. I don't know what they put in their salads. Christina loves sweet green. I like it. It's, she like, I don't know. It's like crack it, for her. It is. It's very strange. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, you all know. right. Speaking of liking things, I feel so bad. Also, you guys, normally when I talk, I'm not like rushing. It's all good. Um, We're fast. So tell me books, movies, books, people. people. I just read. They can be recent faves. They can be all-time faves. I just read Daisy and the Six, and it was amazing. It's about a rock band. It's a fictional story about a rock band, and I just like got completely lost in it. So Daisy Jones and the Six would be my recommendation. As far as a book, I would highly recommend um, This Will Only Hurt a Little by Busy Phillips. Oh, I love Busy, And I know you know yeah, Busy. Well. She's, she's like my best. idol. I think she's so great. It's a great cool. book. I highly recommend it she's, to anyone. She's so great. Yeah. Her show was like the only thing that I could watch post-breakup that like didn't make, <laughs> remind me of like things and make I me know. sad. She's amazing. She's the best. She's so amazing. How did you guys connect? 
Um, I interviewed her a few years ago for a story and we kind of hit it off. She's great. Yeah. What about movies, music? Music, Fleetwood Mac, Stevie Nicks. I, I like pop music. She likes Ariana Grande. So I'm like a big Ariana Grande fan. I love Post Malone. I like, I wish that I could be chicer about my taste in music, but I truly love everything. I also still listen to like Dispatch and Guster and I'm fine with that. There's something about like the music that you loved in high school. Yeah. We did Blink-182 on the drive out out to the shore last weekend. I was pretty into it. Yeah. No shame. No shame. What are you going to do? Music. Movies. Movies. TV. Right, right now, I'm really in um, my niece, like watching TV with my niece. So, like, my favorite movie is Sing. <laughs> my favorite movies are Legally Blonde, The Parent Trap, The Princess Diaries, <laughs> Raising Helen. I love Girl Interrupted. Basically, anything made in like 2002. And I'm a really, I'm a Bachelor Nation member. Great. So, Good you know, know, next week, season finale, really pumped. You'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this show is called Let It Out. So when I offer that to you, is there anything that you wished I would have asked you? Did I squeeze you for all your juice? Is there anything else that you wanted to let out about eating disorders, pop culture, The Bachelor, Sweet Green, whatever you guys I'd want? I'd like to sit, talk about a few people that I like. <laughs> yes, please. I love people above anything else. I love Brene Brown, Cheryl Strayed, Katie Couric, Oprah's pretty great, Stevie Nicks. My boss, Linda Wells, is pretty great. My mom. Um, <laughs> who else? Um, Ruthie. Anything um, else New York related that you want to recommend? We usually oh, talk about New York before we're on the podcast. But we- New York related. I'm really into the subway right now. Why? <laughs> Saves you a lot of money. I hate the subway. No. Um, I would say, what am I really into in New York right now? Hmm. You know... I'm into the Met right now, the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Yeah, it's close by. It's close by. They have a library that you can work out of. Very close to the Guggenheim, too. Yes, I'm very close to Guggenheim. (laughs) We're going to cut this out so people don't Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I I mean, I'm a very, very big coffee drinker. Yeah, Um, me too. So for me, like, getting a good cup of good good iced Americano is really— How many? I'm talking like five. Yeah, I do five a day. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I'm very into coffee, and so is my husband. So we like to do coffee runs. Yeah. 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 I, I, that could be a whole other podcast, but coffee. Coffee. Eating disorders. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I know. It's like alcoholics and cigarettes. Yep. 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 You can't totally. give it all up. You, you know? can't. Yeah. Right? You can't be perfect. <laughs> yeah. Anything else you got? I mean, this is a goddamn delight. I feel like we have let a lot it, of, a let lot of, I guess the only other thing I'd like to let it out is something that I say all the time, which is if you are someone that thinks you have an eating disorder, but you don't look like you have one. You don't need to look a certain way. You can be a totally, quote, normal weight um, and still be very sick. So don't feel like you need to wait until you look like that girl from the Lifetime original movie to get help. And that's something that Christina and I, I, I'd say like out of every message Mm -hmm. that we have propagated, like (laughs) that to me is the biggest one is, is that eating disorders don't look one way. And if I could choose like one thing to tell people about, that would be it. Yeah, same. I wrote this book, obviously, about journaling. I brought you guys one. Is journaling something that you, you're obviously a writer, but is writing something that either of you use to process this? Not really for me. It's interesting because anytime I had been in treatment, I used my journal as like, I'd write down funny tidbits with the intention that I'd someday have like a Netflix series, which it's, it's coming soon. Great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I kind of use it just to write down funny things that I can look back and laugh at, which I mean, I guess, considering the circumstances, it was a little dark, but that's okay. I'm dark. But it's interesting to look back and kind of identify with the person I was at that point and what was going on in my life and what was going on in my head and just even that little bit, seeing how far I've come. Yeah. I, I don't write for myself, but I, I think it would be impossible for me not to say that writing about my eating disorder in very public places has been therapeutic and, if for nothing else, has been helpful in terms of me being able to talk about it to my friends without having to like sit down and be like, I have an eating disorder and this is what it means. Here's the pamphlet. Yeah. Here's the pamphlet. Instead, like they can read all about it. Yeah. I think that's really, that's been helpful for me too, but in, in relationships and with family and just living in diet culture, that's Mm -hmm. one thing I really wanted to ask you guys about how do you protect yourselves from that? Or like, 
get out of a conversation when it goes to dieting or like, do you have any tips it's there? It's really hard. I mean, sometimes if it's a, like a, you're in a work meeting, there's nothing you can do except like just kind of tune into yourself. I'm not a huge, like, let's change the conversation in situations like that. Yeah. In a work situation, you have to figure out how to put your blinders on or go to the bathroom or say you have to get a drink of water. I have been very vocal amongst my, like around my family. Like if some, if there's a conversation, my family has a tendency to talk about the next meal at the meal that you're at. Like if I'm at lunch, we're like, what are we going to do for dinner? (laughs) And I always, I'm like, guys, stop, like curb the talk on food. Future tripping is not good. Um, So like with my family, I'm very verbal. And with my husband, I'm very verbal. Like I'll point stuff out to him be like, did you see what that girl just did? You know, like I talk. Um, (laughs) But in work situations, it's tough. Like you gotta, you gotta grow thick thick skin and you have to know enough about yourself for when, for how to take yourself out of the situation if it is unsafe. Cause there definitely have been times where there have been conversations in the workplace where I have gotten up and left, but not in a like huff more in a, I have to go pee. And I just waited for the conversation to be done. Yeah. Because it's not our job to retrain everyone. And it's also not everyone else's responsibility to know what's triggering. Just like People just don't know. And so that's kind of our shtick is helping people understand what may or may not be triggering and how to speak more responsibly just across the board. So so needed. Thank you so much for the work Thank that you guys you. do. Thank you. So we always end um, with something kind of kind of silly, kind of weird, but I feel like you guys will be into it. We've We've bonded tonight. We've been through it. We let out a deep breath together. Ready? Inhale. Let it out. (sighs) That was great. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Okay, that was my episode with Christina and Ruthie, founders of The Chain. And I'm back with my best friend, Rose Truesdale. And we're going to do the likes and learn segment. But first, if you like this episode, let us know. Send us the emoji, which we'll give at the end of this episode. But also leave a review on iTunes. Maybe share it with your friend. That would be really cool. So what I've been learning and liking, I'm just going to lump into one big mush this time. And I've been learning a lot about myself in these last couple of weeks. It's been so illuminating being around someone else for all my time has been so great because I haven't had to, I haven't had to think or be with myself really. (laughs) I just kind of tell you everything I'm thinking and I've learned so much from you. You've done, like I said in the intro, I definitely want to have you back on the podcast to do a full conversation with you, but what's your greatest lesson on travel? You've traveled a lot and we've traveled together in these last couple of weeks and you've moved to a new country, but let's first focus on travel. Yeah. Gosh, greatest lesson. I think being open to things is just a number one (laughs) most important probably life thing, but that translates very well to travel. Um, Being open to culture, being open to new foods, just Mm -hmm. being open. Yeah. Is that too abstract? No, I think that's great. (laughs) I think it's a really good lesson for life. What about greatest lesson on friendship? Do you think traveling with friends is, I think it's so bonding. It's so bonding. And you'll agree with me here with any kind of travel with friends. It's challenging sometimes just because we are living our own lives and then we come together and it's different. Just planning around another person is different. Planning for your own self and occupying the world (laughs) is just different. Um, But I think that challenge is really healthy and really healing actually because bonding. yeah totally you learn about yourself and you learn about your other half so yeah traveling with friends I'm just sort of complimenting it I'm not really giving any lessons here but yeah I think it's important to always be yourself and advocate for yourself yeah um, but I'm just, not good at that but I'm trying you're to learning. better you're learning too it's a process and um, while being mindful of another person if you can do that you can mm-hmm go anywhere do anything yeah and I think just like having those awkward moments like we've had a couple where it's like one of us is hungry and one of us is sleepy and one of us is just trying to you you've done a really good job of being like it's not you but like I'm feeling this way and I think that's really helpful and useful for me to when someone articulates their needs well that's 
very useful to me to see like, oh, that's how, that's how it's done. <laughs> totally. Well, I think that's also pretty pivotal in recovering from an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Just being li- listening to your own body and being able to yeah. tell another person. If you master that, I think that's really yeah. key. I think a lot of these topics of travel and change and things not going the way you thought they were and having to pivot is very tied to eating disorder stuff. Totally, because you can't control things yeah. when you're traveling. Yeah, it's all about control and it's all about... We talk about this a bit in the episode and Rose and I have talked about it several times. Like you become really detached from yourself and you become a pretty good liar when you have an eating disorder and it's a self-honesty and it's an honesty with other people and not hiding and that you can't really hide when you're traveling and spending all your time with someone totally or in a relationship. Okay. Quickly, because we'll do this when you've come back on the podcast, but just if you had to like describe your city, Berlin, in like one sentence and your favorite part of, about being here, what would it be? It's also challenging. <laughs> it's magical. It's magical here. It's like all the little kids wear snowsuits the moment it gets chilly and all the parents are so relaxed. And Very cool parents. the club kids intermingle with the grandparents and sometimes the grandparents are the club kids. <laughs> and it's just this very free place where anyone can be anything and everyone accepts it. That's how I feel about it. And there's 1 million parks and they're all really great. They're so cute. Today we watched karaoke and the audience is so generous and supportive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do love it here, but it's, it's also frustrating. Sometimes it's frustrating to be an expat and yeah, it's both. Which has been a good lesson in life. (laughs) I loved being here. I've had so much fun. And you're a really good host. Thanks. She has this really cool boyfriend named Dylan, who you've seen on my stories, (laughs) who I love. And they have the best dog and the most beautiful apartment. And it's all in my stories. Oh, man. (laughs) Thank you. I've just had so much fun with you. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. doing this podcast. Arlen the dog is really going to miss you. I'm going to miss him too. He wakes me up every morning like he's a human. (laughs) Okay, favorite thing we've eaten in our travels together? Mm. You can say something from Paris and something from Berlin. Oh, in Paris, let's see. I loved our whole meal at Creatures. Mm-hmm. It was Mediterranean food on a rooftop overlooking the Eiffel Tower. And there's a long backstory to it. There's a really long backstory. It's not just that. It wasn't simple. No, it wasn't at all. But maybe maybe the chocolate mousse there. Ooh, that was delicious. That was really good. And then... She loves chocolate mousse. I do. We've had chocolate mousse maybe several... How many times? Definitely several times. (laughs) Three or four times on this trip. And in Berlin, I eat here all the time, but it's your favorite too, Freya. They're sourdough flatbread they make homemade sourdough every day it's like an english muffin texture yeah it's they ferment everything themselves and they're a zero waste vegan restaurant but everything there was so good perfect but if you go there and you don't order the the sourdough flatbread you're doing it wrong yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. that was my favorite but my favorite meal that i've eaten in the last two weeks was your blueberry pancakes for sure why I came to Berlin. I'm a good pancake artist. And bowl maker. You've made us a lot of good bowls. I'm going to miss your cooking more than anything. (laughs) You made us some good dinners too, man. Okay. Well, I love you so much. Thank you for doing this. Love you too. I want to do a quick thing that I'm liking just because I did it literally today and maybe you can help me explain it. Grinberg therapy, just for people to check out if they want. I just had my first session today and you've been doing it for years for a year a year about a year yeah and it's something that rose told me about months ago and then i did a session with her therapist today and it was so illuminating can you just tell people like a one-liner of what it is yeah it's part talk therapy part body work where your practitioner helps you release areas of tension and trauma so if you happen to be like me and hold your anxiety in your neck and shoulder region. She really helps work that out of you. And it's pretty, it can be uncomfortable. It's definitely intense. I cried for two hours. Yeah, you're very vulnerable. And weird body stuff happens. I remember when I first started, you kind of like, I used to tingle all over and, um, or my leg would fall asleep or just weird, weird stuff happens. Bodies are fascinating, but it's been a really cool way to 
become more embodied and um, let some stuff go. Yeah, I'm so, so glad you told me about it and got okay. me the session. And she's she's just the best host, even handled getting me that. Over here at Let It Out, we are on the go. And that's why we love Care-of Vitamins, one of the reasons. Care-of is a monthly subscription vitamin service made from effective quality ingredients personally tailored to your exact needs. Here's a big reason why I love them. They have a quiz that you go to their website and take. It's fun, it's online, it asks you questions about your health goals, your lifestyle choices, how often you're going to the bathroom, how much you're sleeping. It takes about five minutes, but it reminds me of the quizzes I would take in like Seventeen Magazine. And I love me a good personality quiz or a health quiz. 90% of people fall short of the FDA's recommended guidelines for at least one vitamin or nutrient. And Care-of's quiz can help you identify the vitamins you need to get back on track with feeling your best. I love them. They're delivered right to my door in these easy to remember, very beautiful packaging, personalized containers, these daily packs. They also have a new delicious nutrient packed quick stick powder that can be added to your monthly delivery for an extra easy boost whenever you need it. Very cool. Again, I love using them. I always toss them in my bags so I can remember to actually take my vitamins during the day. And they're great for travel. And I've actually saved money using Care-of than I would have used buying all the supplements that I needed to take. And here's another update. I have taken the quiz again, and I highly recommend, you know, if you've been on Care-of for a while, take the quiz again and see where you are today because I've completely changed out some of the vitamins that I've been taking over the time that I've been using them. So if you want to try them out for 25% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins, visit takecareof.com and enter the code let it out at checkout. Okay, thank you guys so much for listening. Leave a review, share this episode with anyone you think it would help or anyone that would find it entertaining or useful, share it and follow Rose and everything she does. She's making a kid's show. She's a beautiful writer. She's doing so much and she'll be back on the podcast. Thanks, Katie. But until then, we're going to Amsterdam. Yeah. And we'll report back from there. Will you record the trip with me? That One million do? percent. Okay, great. So Rose will be back next week. See you later. Questions. <laughs> and until then, we love you. And the emoji for this week's episode is the chain, if there is one. And if not, just go with the rose. Oh. Dead rose or, um, or the <laughs> alive rose. Depending yeah, depending on, on the day. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And tweet it at Rose and at the chain founders and at me. Okay. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.